for tuning in to the 184th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Apple, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, whichever podcasting platform or app you are listening to me via. Going to have a great show for you today. Going to have Jeff uh, Magliocchetti. Going to dive into a lot of interesting stuff. We're going to talk about the New York Jets, right? That's the team he covers. Uh, We are going to go into the Jamal Adams trade, kind of what went into that, how surprised he was, because for those of you who don't know, the last time uh, Jeff came on the pod, he was kind of saying he didn't think Jamal Adams would be traded. So hope you all enjoy that, and that interview is going to come up right after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We have a very special guest with us, Jeff Magliocchetti. He covers the New York Jets primarily for Empire Sports Media. Also works with W Insider and Nets Republic. How you doing, Jeff? Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on again. So, the last time we had you on the podcast, I asked you about Jamal Adams and you said, that you thought he would stay. You thought the kind of like the feeling I got from you was that they'd be able to mend fences and he would be be playing for New York, the New York Jets this upcoming football season and now he's gone. Just kind of talk kind of how your feelings ended up changing. I, I guess as more and more started coming out and when you were like, okay, he's gonna he, he's out. Yeah, I mean this situation I think just simply became too toxic for either side to keep around and I thought that cooler heads were going to prevail because I always felt Jamal, you know, knew what was at stake here. and He knew, and he was, you know, almost hoping for peace, but it became just obvious, especially after that bombshell report from Manish Mehta, New York Daily News, that, you know, peace was almost never an option. And, you know, now that Adam's gone, I think that, you know, it's almost a win for all sides, almost, in the sense that, Adams has gotten what he wants. He seems real enthusiastic about Seattle. And the Jets, you know, you have to give Joe Douglas just a ton of credit for this trade, I think. He took a disgruntled player that did everything he could to basically eviscerate and burn down the entire organization on his way out. And yet he ended up, you know, scoring a major haul. This was the second trade in Jets history that netted the team two first-round draft picks in a trade, the prior one being the 2000 trade for Keyshawn Johnson that sent him over to Tampa Bay. And those picks eventually became Anthony Beck and John Abraham, the tight end of the defender, respectively. So I think that, you know, it's interesting to see. It's a bit foreboding in a sense, because, you know, I, almost every, you know, NFL, NFL star, every Trump star out there is going to, you know, be like, oh, Jamal got what he wanted. He All he had to do was, you know, 
make a scene a little bit and whatnot. Should I do the same here? But at the same time, I think that Douglas did what he could. Again, it's like we've been it's like something we've all been adapting to during this period of uncertainty. He's basically been doing what doing what he can with what he can. So I think that this was a win for all sides at this point. And I felt cooler heads were gonna prevail in the Adams situation. I felt that, you know, it was interesting that Adams was trying to do this to pull these antics now, especially in a situation where the Jets had all the leverage, you know, had him under contract for the next two years, wasn't going anywhere, and yet Douglas was able to Douglas pulled this off, he got it over with, and he got a solid fall at the end of the day for it. Do you think the Jamal Adam comments? I, I first I want to know about this. What was your reaction about the Jamal Adams Adam Gase, uh, the things he said about Adam Gase? Because he kind of went scorched earth on him, and I think in a way that kind of made most people start thinking, yeah, okay, he can't come back after that, right? Like they're they're not they're not going to do that. So do you think that was kind of the teetering point where it was like we got to get him the hell out of here? It probably was the burning point, and like it was the no return at that point because you know the, uh, the relationship between Adams and Gates was icy as it was and that could not have gone on for another 16 game stretch especially in a season with so much uncertainty at this one we're not even sure if we're going to get it off at this point and to have that uncertainty festering in the locker room would not have been a good strategy so you know and once again Douglas was able to pull off a move that serves as very beneficial for the franchise. All they had to give away was Adams in a fourth-round pick in 2022, and they bring in two first-rounders, and they also bring in a talented safety <coughs> excuse me, in Bradley McDougal. And I think that McDougal did a very subtle job in Seattle. He rose to the occasion when uh, both Kent Gensler and Earl Thomas went down in the Legion Boom kind of made a name for himself, was a bit of a hero in Seattle's uh, playoff victory back in January, it seems like forever ago, but back in back when Seattle tops Philadelphia in the NFC Dunkard game, McDougal led all defenders with 11 tackles, even picked up a sack on Carson Wentz early in the game, and also came up with the major tackle that forced Philadelphia into fourth down or uncomfortable situations late in the game. So I think that this was a trade that, you know, for all intents and purposes, it could not have worked out better for the Jets. But his comments about Adam Gase, that's something, you, you, it's like you said, you cannot come back from that. It's, it, it, I don't know how that got, I, I, I'm surprised it lasted this long, you know, with, 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 that, with that relationship going as it was. But right now, the Jets have appeared to make their, make their decision. And it was also at a point where, you know, Adams was almost smart in the time of this discussion because Adams was going to put in, the Jets in a situation where they would have to choose between Gase or Adams. And Adams made these comments, these scorched earth, as you put it, these scorched earth comments at a time where if the Jets fired Gase now, they would be in complete disarray. There's no turning back from, you know, firing a coach in late July when you're like days away from reporting the training camp. So Adams did in a situation where the Jets, where he would get what he wanted where the Jets would have no choice but to choose Gase in this scenario. So from his strategy, it worked out. And with the Jets, it works out as well by obtaining two first-round picks in a trade for the first time in two decades. 
and you kind of mentioned this a little bit. We've never kind of seen this in the NBA and the NFL. We, we've seen this kind of more in the NBA and in other leagues where players can kind of, for lack of a better term, throw a temper tantrum and kind of get out uh, of a situation they don't like. And you really don't really see that with football players. Uh, so that's the kind of surprising thing to me. Do you think this is setting a precedent, a precedent to where we could see this happening again? Not only on the Jets for the organization, but just the NFL in general. I think it's certainly possible, especially because, you know, with Adams, he's in a, he plays a position that is, let's face it, it's not as highly valued in today's NFL. Like, I, I said during this process where Adams, you know, wanted to, you know, eviscerate the highest paid safety mark. I've mentioned earlier in this process that you look at some of the better teams in, in the NFL today, some more consistently good teams right now. New Orleans, for example, is one that has been able to, you know, get by with a, cha- a constantly changing cast of defenders, particularly in the secondary, and still they've managed to make a mark on the league. They've been able to compete consistently and remain one of the one of the NFL's more elite teams. I think Dustin Morning said about how the New England Patriots always seem to find the best talent to fill in their spots right now. But right now, the NFL is a <coughs> excuse me. The NFL is a league where you know offense takes a higher precedent. It is a league that worships a fantasy football deity in the sense that, you know, even the slightest infraction toward a receiver nets you fifteen yard nets you a fifteen yard penalty, nets you up sets the opponent up in the end zone. Even the quarterback is protected now more than ever these days. Now we've seen that there is still a place for defense in this league, I think. Look no further, for example, than what we saw in one of, the, one of the most recent Super Bowls in the Patriots Rams Super Bowl, that thirteen that thirteen three slugfest, Patriots Rams part two, I should say. So it would be Super Bowl fifty three. So I think there's still a Legion of Boom was another team, speaking of Seattle, was another team that truly used defense to its advantage. It's almost a lost art in today's NFL. But right now the Jets needed to, you know, work on their things right now. They need it was poor communication on their end to Adams where this situation started to spiral out of control where when it became clear that the Jets weren't going to give Adams the extension he wanted this offseason. And the concept in of itself totally fine. Giving Adams a long-term deal would have defeated the entire purpose of this offseason. The Jets signed, I want to say, 13 to 15 free agent contracts this offseason. All but one of them, that of Connor McDermott, one of the offensive linemen, he is, has an opt-out after one year, or most of them were simply one-year deals in their entirety. I believe, I believe all but three of the contracts they bestowed were one-year deals. And the Jets this offseason went out and tried to improve an anemic offense. It's impressive what Sam Darnold has been able to accomplish with little to no blocking help and ever-changing cast receivers. To put that in perspective, there is not a single receiver remaining in the team from Darnold's rookie year, with the exception of Quincy Inunua, and it's more than one reason was not going to play another game in a Jet uniform. So it looks like it's impressive what he's been able to do, but right now the Jets need to find some consistency on the offensive front. On the offensive front and that's what they did offseason. They're helping their not one, but two potential backfield saviors in Darnold and Le'Veon Bell by bolstering the offensive line. They used their first-round pick on Mekhi Becton. They brought in McDermott. They, got, they brought in Van Roten. They brought in 
fair, and I think that, <clears throat> and they also bolstered the receiving game as much as they could. It was a weak receiver free agent class, especially when Amari Cooper re-signed with the Dallas Cowboys, but they brought in Rashad Perriman, who had a very good December, and he's a second-round pick on big play potential maker, on big playmaker potential of Denzel Mint. So I think that, you know, giving Adams a long-term deal would have defeated the purpose of this offseason, in which the Jets are more or less holding audition to see who gets to stay for the potential good time. Unfortunately, it appears that message was not properly communicated to Adams, and one thing led to another, now Jamal Adams is the outfield. Is Adam Case going to last this whole year, if there is a season? I think he'll, I, he'll collapse this year. I mean, I, we've seen many, many quick... Uh, in today's NFL, we're seeing faster trigger fingers. And, you know, we saw in college football, you know, you get the proverbial third year, I feel. And there's a third year where, you know, it's like, okay, your guys are in, you guys are ready and whatnot. But we're learning in today's NFL that victory isn't going to save you. How many long-time coaches have we seen let go after, you know, one or two bad years. I mean, look what happened to Ron Rivera. He deserved a lot better than the raw deal he got in Carolina. He should have at least been allowed to finish out his tenure over there. And look at, for example... And Andy Reid. And could do as well. And, yeah. and Andy Reid, a guy like Andy Reid, who was when he was in Philly. No, you're right. Hey, Andy Reid brought the Eagles to unprecedented heights during his time there. And yet, you know... He couldn't win the Super Bowl and was about to let go. And, you know, you look at uh, another example I would always bring up is Ben Matthew. That guy made the playoffs in his first season at the helm of the Giants. But then year two was so disastrous, he didn't even get to finish it. And another example, look at Arizona. Pete Wilkes was brought in, and they let him go after one year when once it became once it became clear that Cliff Kingsbury was starting to express NFL potential. And Cliff Kingsbury... Let's face it, did not accomplish much as a college football head co- on the, as a head coach on the college football level. What was his team at Texas Tech? Seven of five, eight and four, a couple of trips to the Alamo Bowl. So, it, so Gates, this is a prove year for Gates. This, everyone says that this is a make it or break it year for Sam Darnold. I disagree with that. I think this is a make or break year for Adam Gates. You know, it seemed like every year during Gates' tenure in Miami. We would say this is a make-or-break year for Ryan Tannehill. This is a make-or-break year for Ryan Tannehill. Now, the shoe's on the other foot. This is a make-or-break year for Adam Gates. The, the Jets made their bed with him. The Jets put him put him over Adams at this point, and now he's going to oversee this operation. We, we saw last year, Jets did manage to end their year on a relatively positive note. They were able to, you know, recover finished 7-9, which was, you know, decent considering the way things had started. They had knocked, they had almost indirectly knocked a couple teams out of the playoffs, maybe three if you count that win over the Cowboys. They also knocked, you know, they, they gained the Raiders. They crushed the Raiders ending their playoff opportunity and also more or less made the Steelers' job very, very, all much harder to reach the playoffs. So, I think that this is a make-or-break year for Adam Gates. Time will tell if he's able to survive the season, but at the slightest sign of trouble, I think Gates will probably be gone. If this, if this team, simply put, Gates cannot afford something. What was it last year? He cannot afford another one to start. Let's leave it at that. Because do you think players like Adam Gates and people in the building like him? Like, is he? A lo- I'm, I'm sure that's the way. I'm sure that's the way with every 
NFL coach. I'm sure if you pull anyone in the history of the NFL, you're going to find guys that love the coach, that swear by him, and you're going to find guys that don't like him. So I think that I think that's a loaded question. I think that you know you're going to find guys. Gase is more Gase. I see is more polarizing than others. He has his merits, but he's going to have his detractors. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say that you know I, I, he's going to have his he's going to have you know. He's going to have his supporters, and he's going to have his detractors. That's what I can say about that. What do you think Sam Darnold's thinking right now? What do you think Sam Darnold was thinking yesterday? Uh, I think he's thinking, I uh, hope the Dodgers pull this one out. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, no, I, I think that, uh, you know, Darnold is looking at this. I think he's going to see this as a make or break here for himself. I don't necessarily agree with that case, but I think he sees this as a bit of a make or break here. He's worried more about himself at this point. And I think that he sees this as an opportunity because now that Adams is gone, let's face it, Sam Darnold is the face of this franchise. It was, you know, up for debate between Adams and Darnold, and there's nothing wrong at all with having a defensive base franchise. I mean, look, I think Baltimore has made, you know, a living off of it for years. You know, guys like Ray Lewis, guys like Ed Reed, and, but usually that's why it's normally reserved for the franchise quarterback. And now... Darnold is undoubtedly the face of this New York Jets franchise. Where he goes, they go. And again, it's impressive what Darnold has been able to accomplish with such a lack of support in the Jets system right now. But if he gets some consistent help, be it in the form of the offensive line, be it in the form of Le'Veon Bell, be it in the form of Denzel Mims, he can truly be dangerous. And I think he's looking. I think he's personally looking looking at this. I certainly don't want to speak for Sam. I think he's looking at this as a make-or-break season for himself. So give me a grade for how you think Joe Douglas made out on this. He got two first-round picks, and uh, they got a, they got a safety back from Seattle, right? So what what, what grade would you give Joe Douglas? I'm going to give it an A on this one. I mean, I think that, you know, once again, for a guy that tried to burn down the organization on his way out, Gase made out like a bandit with this one. You know, you bring it. You bring in. You bring in two first-round picks. That's unprecedented in today's NFL. First-round picks are perhaps the most valuable capital an NFL team could have. And Gase was not Gase. Douglas was able to net two of them, and he and he earned himself a third rounder in the process as well, adding some more depth. And he was able to add some talented depth in the form of people. So I think you. I think Gase. Crazy. He made out well with this one, and the transition of the, the trading of Adams to Seattle. I think I think Jamal is a heck of a player, and sure, he makes Seattle a better team. I don't think we can deny that. But at the same time, does this push the Seahawks ahead of the 49ers? The NFC West is one of the more dangerous divisions in all of football at this point because you have the Seahawks, you have the 49ers, who who were let's face it. 15 minutes away from winning a Super Bowl last, last year. You have the Cardinals. I know I was just ragging on Kingsbury, but when you have the potential of guys like, when you have the potential of Kyler Murray, when you just brought in DeAndre Hopkins, that team is going to be dangerous next season. And of course, you can't count out the Rams, you know, because, you know, ugly uniforms, but still, this is a team that, let's keep in mind, was in the Super Bowl not too long ago, two, two years ago, two seasons ago, was basically England was in the Super Bowl. And play the and play the Patriots to a thirteen three slugfest. So I think that the NFC West is one of the, is one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous, division in football. But at the same time, 
does does the Adams make Seattle a better team? But does he push them over the limit? Meanwhile, with the Jets, you can truly express some hope with this franchise. Maybe not immediately, but that was never going to be the case in the first in the first place. Because even with expanded playoff capital, it was going to be a lot to ask for the Jets to make the playoffs this year. At the same time, the Jets are better set for their future. While Seattle gets stuff, while Seattle's status as kings of the NFC West is still very uncertain. So I think I think Douglas did a fantastic job with this one. Like once again, in a 2020 mile, he did what he could with what he had. Is there any chance that Pete Carroll's thinking that Jamal Adams is going to be their Cam Chancellor 2.0? Oh, I'm so, I mean, I certainly think that's the case. I mean, Carroll has uh, you know made his bread and butter with the secondary, so I think he'd be I think he'd be wise to consider it like that. So, going to be interesting to see. Going to be I'm really interested to see if uh, Seattle decides to keep up with Adams' uh, pass rushing tendencies because. He became one of the biggest pass rushers in football last year. I think no one's going to soon forget the sight of Adams simply taking the ball away from Daniel Jones and taking it back for a touchdown last season. So I feel that, you know, I feel I'm interested to see what happens in that regard. So it'll be interesting to see. But I can see that. I can certainly see that comparison, especially in the early going. And my last question I have for you, Jeff, is this. So last time you were also on the podcast, we talked about who was kind of jockeying for AFC East supremacy. You have the Patriots, who at the time they had Jared Stidham as kind of the guy we thought they were going to start against the Bills. And then the Patriots go out and get Cam Newton. So the Patriots are the favorites, hands down now, right? I would would say hands down is a little much. I certainly feel a lot more confident in New England to win the division now than when we last spoke, which I believe was in June. So I think that I was always I was always under the impression that the New England dynasty wasn't over until someone else said it was over. Because again, you said we, I think I, I feel like I've said this a lot. It's great that Buffalo gave them two great games last season. But at the same time, you need to win. Moral victories don't count in the NFL, you know? You can't take moral victories and go to the Super Bowl. You need to get actual victories in the win-loss column. And now, close games against New England aren't enough anymore. And, you know, you look back at the Tom Brady era. You look back at Brady. Over the past, I want to say, I think it's three seasons. I could be wrong, but I think it's three seasons. Tom Brady posted a passer rating under 90 on 21 exchanges. The Patriots were twelve and nine in those games. So let's face it; it was ne- it wasn't always about Brady. You take the Brady equation out of it, New England suddenly doesn't. The New England coach doesn't turn back into a pumpkin all of a sudden. <laughs> this is a Patriots team that has gotten by with the development and the talents of so many players and just a tremendous coaching staff. So I never believed that the division was out of New England's grasp just yet. I do believe in the Bills. It's going to be really interesting to see what they're able to do this year. They'll certainly be one of the teams that you truly keep an eye on. I think the NFL is starting to realize that. I believe Buffalo got their got several national TV games, which was unprecedented for them. You know, we looked. We remember last year. I think they were they did that Sunday night football game against Pittsburgh. I think it was their first SNF game since '07. So I feel that Buffalo certainly has a tremendous opportunity to unseat New England, and keep an eye on Miami as well. You know, they displayed the potential late in the year last year, so don't run out the Dolphins by any stretch of the imagination. But right now, I never thought 
that New, that New England's stranglehold on the AFC East truly went away. The only way it's going to go away is if a team, if any of these teams beat them, you know, because, you know, we've said it for years, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, doing, of course New England wins the division. They play in such a weak division right now. At the same time, the great teams know how to do the little things extraordinarily well. So close games against the Patriots aren't cutting it anymore. So to answer your question, yes, I, still, I believe that New England is still the favorite in the division. And heck, I wrote recently that, you know, the Jets should be more concerned almost with some other additions they just made, particularly the pass rush, particularly uh, particularly on the offensive line, on the offensive line, re-upping with Joe Tooney. So I think that, you know, the New England the New England Patriots, the dominance emanating from Foxborough never died. It simply evolved. And also, I do have to ask you this. So, Josh Allen was on the NFL's top 100. I think he was 93rd. Thoughts? Yes. Uh, what about? Yeah, yes, I did see. I did see that. Too was he too high? No, I, I think that's a relatively. Cl- I think that's relatively fine. I mean, if you put him high, I think that'd be even more controversial. I think I think that's a fair spot for him, at least for the time being. Look, I I know the common thing to do is rip on Josh Allen at this point. And, you know, I wasn't a big believer in Allen either. I thought that, you know, he would always disappear in the big moments in college. But at the same time, he's done a fairly solid job right now. And let's face it, you know, he's the most surefire thing the Bills have had to a starting court, to a franchise quarterback in a long, long time. Perhaps since Doug Flutie, perhaps since Jim Kelly. So, you you, you, you got to look back at the Malarkey Bills fans have had to deal, deal, deal with the quarterback over the past decade, uh, over the past two decades. Look how many false saviors they've had back there. You know, Trent Edwards, J.P. Lawson, uh, Rob Johnson. I mean, Drew Bledsoe was another one. Uh, T- T- Tyron Taylor, I actually like. They thought Tyron Taylor got a really raw deal with Buffalo, but uh, they're also guys like Nathan Peterman. I mean, come on, you 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 look at what the Bills have had to deal with, and for Allen to take this team. And partially, he plays. He has played a role in it. We can't deny it. And partially, turn this team into a contender and situate them in the in and situate them best in the race to take to wrestle control away from the Patriots. I think that deserves some recognition. So yes, I now I think Allen saw in '93. Yeah, it's totally fine because you know he's gotten the Bills on the right track, but you know he's still missing that true signature moment, I feel like, you know. He's missing that true opportunity. Almost got a bit of it in that aforementioned Sunday night game against Pittsburgh with that game-winning drive, so that was pretty cool right there. But if he's able to, you know, topple New England this year, I think that he can truly, truly start to shoot up that board. And, yeah. and, one, and one other thing, too, um, you know, you look back on that, um, I think it was late September in, in Orchard Park where the Bills played the Patriots for the first time. Allen got hurt in the late stage of that game, so you can truly you could truly make a case that he put the V in MVP, particularly in Central New York's case. So I feel like this is a spot for him for now at 93. Jeff, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. Take care now. And once again, I want to thank Jeff Magliocchetti for coming on the podcast. And once again, I also do want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode 
the 184th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.